Oh, yes. Hi. Hello, world. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the City Store podcast and the first episode of 2022. This first episode of the year will be with Ted Barrow. You know, listen in. Uh, some of you may know him from his Feedback Ted page or just skateboarding in general. Um, but I think in this episode, you'll learn a lot more about Ted and his professional life as an art historian and a curator and also a professor at city universities in New York. And uh, it's definitely a good, long, interesting conversation that the two of us had, both over Zoom, Ted being in San Francisco and me being here in New York. Um, I won't talk too much about it, but I hope you guys enjoy and definitely more to come. Hope you guys are all well. Take it easy. So if you could just, I guess, give uh, people an introduction of who you are for maybe people that don't know you. Sure. Um, hold on. I'm just going to press continue. Uh, my name's Ted Barrow. I, um, I'm an art historian and skateboarder. And I, I guess I would describe myself above all as like a writer and sort of like, if not critic, uh, scholar who's interested in, in like thinking about skateboarding in a different way. Mm -hmm. I think, I think where I wanted to take it uh, first, just because it's the way that I became familiar with you was the feedback page. Yeah. Um, okay. And so it's like, at first it's like friends, you know, being like, this is hilarious. This um, uh, like people wanting to send in their information to you just to be shit on um, mm. by this like very like, cynical man with clearly uh intelligence and like a good vocabulary and you like aren't just saying like you're bad at skating you're like connecting it to art and these different themes right but it's yeah. more so like um why did you decide to create that page yeah and um how was it like running that okay well i think it like <clears throat> i come out of a kind of generation in skateboarding that grew up reading big brother and kind of like worshiping at the altar of like pre flame boy world industries. And that included like blind one Oh one and to some extent plan B in the early nineties. And that was a very sarcastic shit talky, but supportive generation that I think it's hot that it was I realized as I started to run that account and it got popular, it was hard to um, explain that and contextualize that to a generation of kids who'd kind of, on the one hand, grown up like watching fucking decapitation videos online. And on the other hand, uh, grew, grew up like sort of having everything that they do and every way that they present themselves celebrated uncritically also online hmm. and so for me like it was a kind of no-brainer that the humor in that account that one you don't really talk about skateboarding like you, i am in no position to give anyone critique on skateboarding so thus anything that i say is automatically a joke mm -hmm. um and that was the that was the fundamental premise of that account um, but then as it started to go on, so that was, that was the idea is it was sort of an inside joke amongst friends. And I had, I had a, 
you know, being a skateboarder, you end up having much younger friends. Yeah, and always. I knew this group of dudes that like kind of like knew about the the YouTube landscape and the way that people sort of like had soliloquies online and talked about product and did unboxing and all these sort of corny things that like were totally off my radar as a skateboarder. Um, but as I started to like sort of like understand the humor and the way that my friends were talking about this, I kind of realized that like there could be some space where I could pretend like I was kind of like a, an art critic, you know, like sort of like yeah. Jerry Saltz or Robert Hughes or something kind of like a brash outspoken opinionated and, and clearly very nakedly like, uh, egotistical, uh, <laughs> type of, type of person. And that, that, that person exists in the art world and that sort of like discourse of shit talking and stuff also exists in like uh, more professional mainstream sports, but it doesn't really, I mean, there are people like Gary Rogers and stuff, but like it doesn't really exist in skateboarding, at least on Instagram, the way that I was trying to do it. So it does personally, like just yeah. between skaters in general, when you go out and skate somewhere. But. And it exists on like digitally, like on, in the comments section and like slash sure. message boards and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, again, I, I wasn't really trying to like reinvent the wheel. Like I thought all that stuff was already in place. I just, it just seemed like a funny outlet and it somehow like tapped into these two parts of my brain that where I like love talking about skateboarding, love thinking about skateboarding, always I'm going to have something to say about skateboarding and also could use some of that critical thinking or at least uh, the performance of critical thinking and the performance of mastery that came out of like graduate school. So, and, and I would also say that like the underlying anxiety (laughs) beneath both of those things was imposter syndrome, right? Like as skateboarders, we're constantly trying to negotiate how real, how authentic we are. Like if anyone's going to sort of see the mask slip, um, what sort of skateboarders we are, you know, we're constantly emulating like other skateboarders we admire and trying to skate like them and measuring our own skateboarding and our performance up against other people. And that, you know, if you think skateboarders are bad, uh, you know, you <laughs> check out an academic, like imposter syndrome is might as well be like the sort of like methods course you take in any discipline your first couple of years is like, you know, like it's all about like, the, the papers that you, you, you thought you did the shittiest on get the highest grades and the best praise. And you're like, wait, were y'all actually reading my, that paper? <laughs> and like those stuff that you work the hardest on and think is the most important people don't even uh, notice. And so I, I think that like in a weird way, feedback was a way to sort of exercise a lot of anxiety and hangups I had about graduate school while at the same time playfully engaging with, uh, with skateboarding and skateboard media in a way that I, that totally tapped into like my, the weird eddies of my brain. Mm -hmm. And it seemed to be like, like pretty well received. And like, even I remember I had um, like a friend that you had critiqued his clip or something. And it's so interesting that he was so excited by the fact that just that you would critique it. Yeah. He didn't care that you like, talk shit about 90% of what had happened in the clip or something along those lines. So it seemed like, like it was really well received. Like people liked the cynicism. I think some people did. I, it's really hard for me to say, you know how like that, uh, when, you know, it's very, 
like you, we only remember the negative criticism we get mm-hmm. like, and so I probably more often than not 80% of the time got appreciative messages, but looking back on it, I really have a lot, you know, I'm, I'm still sort of like traumatized by so many of the negative exchanges that I had and, and they're like a little bit frustrated that, that my message was less clear. Now I acknowledge that like, I would have to be a mega, like a, a psychopath to think that, you know, a hundred percent of the 45,000 people that followed my account were paying attention and got the joke. That would be insane. But, um, I did, I think the reason why people liked it is one, like we do like to be acknowledged online, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're all, we're all there and we're all looking for some sort of approval. And, usually the people whose clips that I roasted, I did so with um, permission. Like everyone submitted their clips to me. They, they had to send it in a very specific format and had to fit like the guidelines that I like set forth in part mm-hmm. to protect myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and usually I, I would s- correspond with the people I was going to review. And I'd say like, do you want like me to roast this? Do you want me to say something nice like do you want constructive criticism like that'll be boring and not funny but i can do it um and most people voluntarily said no like talk shit talk your shit king or whatever <laughs> so um but yeah I, I think it's not i've had more very seldom have I actually encountered anyone in real life who was like you know wanted to kick my ass or something although yeah. i you know dealt with those threats daily for for 3 years yeah. Why, why do you think you, um, like responded a lot? I remember like you're, if I'm, I could be wrong, but I remember you would be, um, okay with responding people like talking shit back to you. Yeah. I think it was partly as I started to do the account, it was partly about, um, kind of, it became less about like, okay, let's make fun of like skateboard clip, uh, like skate park clips, which was a huge thing. Like, why are we filming at the skate park? It's like, yeah. Filming a workout. Skate park and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and more about like, is Instagram kind of like the skate park of like online, pre- like we're mm-hmm. all sort of presenting these selves that we're not, that we aren't. And we act like fucking maniacs here, you know? And there, there doesn't seem to be a very clear line of like, it's okay to say this on Instagram, but not, it absolutely wouldn't be okay to say this in person. True. And so part of it came from having a little bit of critical distance where I could be like, all right, since I'm performing this role, this isn't how I actually feel. And this isn't actually me. This is like an exaggerated persona um, that I can engage with these people who are taking this really seriously and try to kind of like coax them excuse me, COVID, um, <clears throat> try to coax them through, uh, like in a, almost like, I don't know, like a Socratic way. Well, that's so fucking pretentious, but like, so like a kind of like, okay, why do you think, why, why do you have a problem with what I'm doing? And they'd be like, well, like, you know, like you never made it in skating. And I'd be like, well, that was never really a goal of mine. I've always sort of skated for fun, but you can't like skate for fun. Cause you're talking shit on skating. And I'm like, no, I'm like literally like, giving the people who I'm talking shit about like this. And this is my way of sort of engaging with this stuff that I really fucking care about. Like I'm spending a lot of time online doing this. I clearly must, if it made me miserable, 
I'd be, I'd be totally insane. Like, you know, um, and often I would, you know, it's like, we all like to win arguments online. So often I would be able to kind of get that person who originally was like antagonizing me to come around to sort of demonstrate that actually like what their initial impression of what, of what I am and what I'm doing was wrong. And the larger idea is that it's very hard to understand where people are coming from online. And we spend a lot of time uh, thinking about and presenting ourselves online. And so like, if, if it's, if it's so easy to misunderstand the joke that I'm making very clear is a joke, then what else are we not understanding? Like how, you know, like this is how like conspiracy theories and like QAnon and all this like weird shit happens online is that like people aren't really approaching uh, digital, their digital lives very critically, you know? Yeah. But then for you at a certain point, it's like, um, like I do like the idea of um, being able to almost hone in with someone and then come to a consensus that like, you're like, yeah, that like you're wrong. Like I'm here doing something like that people want. And there's like um, maybe that sort of benefit to you of being able to work with someone through um, them being upset. But at a certain point, like, doesn't that become a little like tolling towards you with doing for hundreds of people? Like, yeah. Like, who the fuck has time for all that? They're not real people to you that you're interacting with. And yeah, and it could be just some like completely bored, distracted Mm 14-year-old. Like, probably is, I mean. Yeah, and and here I am like trying to like convince uh, something that to me is like the most interesting and kind of challenging thing that I'm involved in to someone whose brain like actually like hasn't even developed to understand consequence who's never like actually had a job (laughs) you know like Mm -hmm. and and uh and yeah it's it's i mean that's that's my bad you know that was that was where like that uh like i was taking that shit too seriously like there are a few things where i'm just like well of course people didn't get it like i barely got it It took me six months of doing it to sort of understand what i was trying to do you also always i remember threatened like this shit is getting taken down like Mm -hmm you know what i mean like i i remember that yeah. being a thing and then you Sometimes i guess you I would, decide like fuck it i'll just go for another week or something <laughs> yeah it was an i mean right so the other side of it was that even though i um even though i tried to maintain some sort of critical distance from it like obviously uh thing all of a sudden it started to like make money for me mm-hmm. and provide a platform that I had really wanted to have earlier when I was wanted to like, sort of like, I never wanted to be pro, but I absolutely wanted to work for a magazine. I absolutely wanted to write about skateboarding. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I was like, those offers were on the table. Um, And all of a sudden I was like getting free stuff. And it's like, you know, um, at a certain point, like in academia, you realize that your goal is to reach people. Your goal is to sort of like to communicate with a wider audience and to sort of get across your point of view and to sort of find a way to express that clearly outside of of the fucking academy. Because that is, you know, I hate to say it, like you're just beginning a graduate program, but like that 
as you make your way through, you realize how limited and how withered and how um, kind of dry and, and at least in my field, um, that world is and how challenging it is to actually say anything that you believe in and that you think is important. I mean, it, those, your options get less and less. And I realized that like here I was actually fusing my two sincere passions. Like I love learning. I love fucking thinking about art. I love looking at art. I love finding ways to sort of like present uh, this material, which a lot of people are intimidated by or, or just think isn't for them. I, I tried to find ways to present that material in a, in a informal and informative way and also offer a perspective on skateboarding that wasn't like, I mean, the point of feedback was that like I was looking at, I was <laughs> paying attention to 14 year old kids skate park footage that otherwise no one would pay attention to for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not praising it because this was a good skater or a bad skater, but trying to find something kind of silly or faux critical to say about like, just like what it means to like do a kickflip up a Euro gap or skate a quarter pipe, like a gap or something, you know? Yeah. Um, not, I mean, you know, I'm I, again, like I wasn't like changing the world, but I was, I was trying to sh- shine light on a non-hierarchical type of skateboarding, even if I was playing the role of someone who cared a lot about hierarchies. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that as someone who, you know, like struggled through going to conferences, lecturing, all the sort of things that like you do in graduate school and, and finding that frustrating and unrewarding I definitely, one of the reasons I poured so much energy into running that account and to kind of like engaging in the way that I did is because it like, it satisfied me. I could, commu- I had a large platform. I could communicate with a huge amount of people and I could get across ideas and receive immediate feedback for these, for these like things that I was doing. And that's like kind of what we strive for in academia. Yeah. Instead of it taking like eons Right, exactly. Something you publish that's been, or you submit to be published, and it's refined and refined and refined and refined and refined and refined, and you, yeah, and and kind of like all of the life sort of gets crushed out of it. Um, Yeah, God, I I sound so dark. It's like, you know, (laughs) but like I'm, I'm looking at a fucking 250 word like page document, which is my dissertation, which is basically done, five chapters, and. I am pretty sure that maybe three people are going to read this, you know? Oh, is it that little? I know I had a professor that to- told me he wrote like something crazy, like 300 pages yeah. and it was edited down to something ridiculous, like five and it was done. Five pages? Five pages. Oh. Uh, well, for, no, I just, I mean like. And it was done by like tw- 12 people was on the board. Of yeah. Like yeah. Her. So like I have, I'm, I know that like my first reader, my advisor, my second reader are definitely going to read it. And I, I assume that I'm going to have a couple other readers who are going to check it out. And like, maybe I can turn this into an exhibition. Maybe I can turn this into a book. Maybe I can pivot it into like another research project, which will put something out. But it's like, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, that's, that's the sort of discipline of academia, I guess. But like, I just, always wanted to, I thought the point was like to sort of get more people excited about these big ideas that you care about, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that, and I think besides the sort of like very base 
like id level of like wanting approval for what I was doing, one of the things that really drove me with feedback was just like, Hey, here's a platform. People are responding to what I'm doing. And oftentimes people are liking what I'm, I'm putting out there. And that's great because I haven't experienced that to a great degree. And I've had a pretty, you know, pretty successful academic career, all things considered, but like, I am not experiencing that in the same way in academia. Um, and I certainly never sought that in skateboarding. Mm-hmm. I think, I think too, what, uh, with the feedback page, which was nice is like, I would watch them with my girlfriend who like all our, a lot of our friends are skateboarders, but like, she doesn't really care about it, you know? Cause yeah. I think for people outside of skating, they're like, what's so great about this clip or something. Um, but your feedback was so, um, it was like eloquent. And I think, um, I think that, um, was intriguing in, in the sense of, um, uh, this guy, is he even a skateboarder? Right. Um, So it was like, it was that I thought was, was pretty cool. Cause, um, my understanding of skating is like, there is this dichotomy almost of like, uh, almost skating doesn't like education. I know that is probably yeah. not a great way of saying it, but like I remember seeing a video and it's like, oh, Mark Suchu is like going to NYU. But it's like, why is that even a video? Like for me, like I don't get, personally, I don't give a shit that Mark Suchu goes to NYU. Like more skateboarders can go to great colleges and that doesn't have to be this like one or the other type thing. Yeah. Well, it, it there has been, I think the kind of like DNA of skateboarding. One myth is that like you don't talk about skateboarding, you know, like the, the descri- like, so the, so thus you don't talk about anything. <laughs> like, you know, like if you can't describe and you can't like seeing, seeing a non skateboarder try to describe a fucking frontside kick flip, why <laughs> they would want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like it, and they're talking about that x and the y axis and like you know they're, they're completely getting it wrong like um i think skateboarders are kind of like wary of the effort and the sort of desire to sort of like put this ineffable magical thing that means everything to us into words and so like there there always has been this like very anti-academic or anti-literary drive in skateboarding on the, the, I think comes out of like surfing and kind of like late seventies bro culture, you know, like skateboarders were sort of modeling themselves after like Ted Nugent and like all these rockers and fucking Harley dudes and car customization people. And like, you know, there there was probably very good reason that like car customization, like motorcycle, like custom, custom, I don't know what's the fucking word customizers. Like, you know, DIY people like weren't into like talking about what they were doing. Cause like a lot of those like motorcycle gangs were involved in like drug smuggling and shit like that. And like, you know, so it's like skateboarding kind of adopts this like outlaw, like what we do is secret ethos. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, let's make no bones about it. We're all fucking nerds. We aren't the cool, like we, we've never been the cool, like, like muscular blonde dudes like on the beach with all the babes like we're all we're we're on fucking toys we're on these like nerdy things that are filthy doing it in dumb parking lots that like we're you know it's like it's a nerdy activity and 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 i 
I think the difference between like a nerd and a geek is like nerds want to share their information, whereas geeks hoard information. Like geeks build up a wall of information that like intimidates people, whereas like nerds like are like, no, no, this, this, this. And there's that's always been part of skateboarding culture too. Is just we don't want to admit it. We want to think we're these fucking tough guys, but really we're these nerds. Mm-hmm. And there has been really excellent writing about skateboarding for as long as skateboarding has existed from Craig Stesick to like, you know, Earl Parker and Dave Carney and big, the big brother era to like, uh, you know, Aaron Meza and like all these sort of like amazing sort of people, Michael Burnett, like these people that have been like writing about skateboarding and around skateboarding without describing a fucking frontside flip, uh, for four decades at least. Mm-hmm. And there, and so I think, um, right. Like people, I think one of the issues with feedback is like, I would try to, I'd been, I, you know, from lecturing, from giving tours, from giving, uh, talks in museums, I knew how to kind of like offer like the minute long blurb on something, you know? So I tried to take that blurb analysis, that one paragraph where you introduce the thing, why we should care about it and sort of wrap it up into something maybe universal. Like I had that training and to, to apply that to like a skate park, a skate park clip as absurd as it was, was like a fun little challenge with each video. Mm. Um, the weird thing about skateboarding is there's this whole gatekeeping side of it where it's like, people would be like, well, what gives you the right to, to critique? You know, like you're, you weren't pro, like you must, if you're talking about it at all, you must be bitter. You know, this whole thing. Mm. And, uh, I, I don't have any defense, you know, like I just, no, I, I, I think that like, it's, I think that the people on the outside of skateboarding have the most to say about it. And I consider myself to be someone who's like by and large on the, has always been on the outside of skateboarding, like a fan. I'm a fucking fan. I'm going to pay attention to it. Um, and I think that like, there is, there's, there's the sort of thinking that like, oh, if you're like not good, you don't have any authority. That's kind of malignant, toxic bullshit that we need to leave with the blonde bros on the beach. Yeah. Uh, skateboarding is like extremely elitist uh, for something that was made to be as like a way of getting out of the elite or something like that. But yeah. I guess it makes sense. Like like you said, it's gatekeeping. Uh, I'm sure it was like that way when you were younger too, but I feel like uh, social media definitely made it worse because now it's like hard to tell who genuinely does it because they love skating or someone that thought it was just what they should do because it it's popular. I don't know. Yeah, I think that so- what social media has... The- I mean, I think it's like, it's just more of the same with social media. Like I was intimidated by the older dudes at the skate spot and skate shop. Like when I was a little 12 year old, you know, and they would, mm-hmm. they would berate us and tease us and make us feel shitty. And, and then eventually like, kind of like welcome us in. Um, I think the problem with social media is it's impossible to tell tone, you know, like mm-hmm. when you're reading a comment, when you're, you, you're going to glean 20% of what the, at most of what the, commenter or the person uh leaving that sentiment meant you know you there's no way you can understand where they're coming from what they meant and what tone they said it in i mean and and that's proven to me every time like i misunderstand a good friend's comment you know oh yeah it happens yeah where you're just like wait what 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 the fuck are you saying dude and they're like 
Oh, I was just fucking around. I was a little distracted. And you're like, oh, okay. Cause I just, I just like, you were just living in my head for two hours. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that the, the problem, if it's, I don't know if it's a problem, but like the issue is that, um, we, we have, <clears throat> it's harder to be sincere on social media and it's harder to sort of understand someone's sincerity and that's something that you can only sort of experience like face to face, like in, re- in real space in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like online dating, you know, <laughs> or whatever, like you're, you're gonna, you're the, the, the person that the people present to the digital world is not the person that you're encountering at the cafe or whatever. Yeah. And s- skating's hard. Like I've definitely like had long conversations with, with my girlfriend cause she definitely hates the gatekeeping and skating, but it's like, skating is very sincere like you had to go through a lot to be able to get the tricks that you have and i yeah. think for people outside of skating they don't understand like why there's that competitive nature because like you put in lo- like literal blood sweat and tears for some of it so something about someone taking advantage of it hurts like um uh, yeah i mean yes i agree but then it's like Hey, if someone wants to claim that they're a skateboarder, um, you know, or like, I know, whatever, <laughs> like, what is it? It doesn't change the way that I skate, you know, like uh, people were ask, talking about the Olympics last summer and I was just like, that doesn't affect anything for me. Like if that gets more people into skateboarding and eventually they find a more authentic connection to this culture that I think is exceedingly liberating compared to most subcultures or mainstream cultures, like, uh, why would I care? You know, yeah. um, I I think I used to care a lot more like in my 20s like what good skateboarding was and what you know I I could kind of split the hairs of a feather on like why someone was good or bad or like why I liked them or why they were corny sure, yeah, you know yeah, but yeah. at this point I'm just like the more the merrier and mm-hmm. also it's like skateboarding already s- sells itself out the the culture of skateboarding the industry of skateboarding already sells itself out from the from the inside anyway, like we've already, totally. we've already forfeited any sort of core authenticity. Yeah. Um, as far I as collaborations alone, if you look at like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's like, like, why would we try to sort of police ourselves in this way? Like we've all, we all know, like we change pant size and pant style every six months anyway, like it's going to mm-hmm. change. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you think, uh, just cause you're older and like you're, you're a professional and stuff that your relationship with, with skating um, has changed where now you can like, obviously everyone probably knows it's a hobby, mm-hmm. but like, was there a point where you were like, this is just a thing I do to like enjoy myself rather than put pressure on it? Yeah. I mean, that actually happened really early on for me. Okay. Um, when I was, when I started skating, I was definitely kind of came at it like worshiping like these like awesome eighties pros and wanting to be like them. And there were, there were competitions were more regular in like the late eighties. So I would go to like the skate park and like enter a contest and try to place. And for a while I did pretty well. Cause I, you know, like I had a mini ramp routine, you know, <laughs> I polished it, I'd work on it. And I wanted, you know, when you're like a little kid, 12, 13, 14 years old, like you, it's possible to be like the good kid or one of the best kids in your town, at least where I was growing up. Like 
I was up to a point like the good kid. I would I would place in my age division. And Where I was did you like, grow up? Austin, Texas. Oh, um, which had a really good skate scene back then, um, as it does now. But I was like, you know, sponsored by the local skate shop and like, uh, you know, hung out with all the other, the handful of other good skaters in my town. And then at a certain point, like things started to change. And it's a weird time, like 13, 14, like some people are going through puberty. Some people aren't like you're going to a different school. Like all this shit was like changing. And I started to see my skill set plateauing at a time when everyone else was like kind of skyrocketing. Yeah. Doesn't that suck? Yeah. It fucking sucked. It sucks. (laughs) On top of that, I was feeling like sort of social pressures like in uh, junior high and high school to like hang out with non-skaters all of a sudden. So I kind of like... It's kind of nice. Yeah. 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 Breath of fresh air. Yeah, when you when you actually meet cool people that like don't skate and you and you realize you have shit in common with them and and like I so I sort of like around 14 and 15 turned my back on skateboarding and that whole life and actually studied and played soccer and fucking ran and tried to be tried to be a normie basically. Hmm. And it was great. It was like the best academic year I'd ever had in high school, you know? And um but at the end of it I really missed fucking skateboarding. I I missed like the feeling of skateboarding and I kind of missed the places that I went skateboarding because those weren't places that any of these other people knew about. Um, And so around 15, I was like, all right, I think like that whole ethos of skating for fun that like we all say we do, but we really don't want to do like, we don't like, we all want to be really good. But like, I think I'm actually, if I'm going to skate again, like I'm not going to put that pressure on myself. I'm just going to try to have fun. And it doesn't, didn't mean that I didn't push myself. I, I was, I spent high school miserable that I wasn't as good as the four on one videos, but like, uh, it's, I still like sort of internalize this, like, I'm never going to be the best skateboarder. I don't want to be the best skateboarder. I just want to do things that I think are fucking cool. And that saved me, dude. Like, so what I'm saying is like, I, I was able to approach it as a passionate hobby from my early teens. Mm -hmm. Once I started skating again and I've always sort of had, it's always occupied that place. It never works when it's the only thing I'm doing. It's the only thing I care about that. Then it becomes miserable and sort of like a prison but like when it's the thing you can do on the weekends after like a, a stressful work week, or it's a thing you can do like after studying, um, you know, like during the day, like it's great. Mm-hmm. It's a whole, this wonderful escape, but it, but like, it's not reality. <laughs> it's not, it's not everything. And I mean, yeah, so that was like, that's been my orientation for a very long time. Uh, and and that is probably the reason why I can still I still consider myself a skateboarder today because it's like it was never like yeah it was always a hobby yeah it's it's interesting yeah like um that fun aspect and like having that change of mind really helps yeah like you 
go to a park and you're really serious and you're like, I'm going to land these things. And then you don't, and you hate it. But the most fun I've had is honestly over this COVID time in the last year, skating yeah. at curb right. with my friends has been like genuinely like all of us together. We're like, this is the most fun we've had skating. And, and it's yeah, because that's- we have no expectation of ourselves. We just go there and we fuck around and, and it's just enjoyable, you know? Cause yeah, everyone, I mean, everyone's older. Everyone has jobs. We know that skating is not, no one's getting sponsored. Like it's not right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, um, if you can find a way to sort of tap into that thing that like made you excited when you were a dumb kid, you know, for like your dumb reasons, like, mm-hmm. like if I can still, if I can still find myself doing like this dumb little mini ramp tricks that I did when I, when I was trying to win when I was 13 and now I can do those same tricks and just enjoy like that. My body can get into that position (laughs) and that's it. Like then that's a, that's a great, that's a great career as a skateboarder or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, and I think COVID really for those that were lucky enough to have time off and to be able to skate a curb and, and have skateboarding come back into their lives. And I talked to a lot of people and, most everyone is like dude 2020 was like the best year of skateboarding i've had yeah yeah you just had the time to fuck around with it really yeah they're like so much outside of uh your you know like people lost their jobs like the whole kind of system broke down um that our lives got sort of winnowed down to the things that like really mattered and i'm feel really lucky that skateboarding was something that i was able to sort of still do and engage with and it still really matters to me and yeah it's impressive that you also i mean obviously there's there's not much like footage footage of you um online from maybe when you were younger um but you still can like really skate I'm not right now, but sometimes, <laughs> I mean, well, maybe not right now, but like the clip, the clips that I've seen is like, it, yeah. it's cool that you have kept a level of consistency in skating while doing all these other things in your professional life. Because I know for me and I'm younger than you, like if I don't skate for a month, I am like, Oh fuck. Like, yeah. Oh, I mean, I have that too. Good. Yeah. I'm pretty methodical about it. Like when I do skate, like I, I repeat motions and I have a kind of routine of like, you know, I'm only going to, I'm not going to Ollie for the first 15 minutes. And then, you know, like huh. I'm going to do this yeah, and that. Get accustomed, and like, yeah. Yeah. Just like whatever. I mean, honestly being old, you like, it just takes a while to get the blood flowing. And, um, I also don't, um, yeah, I, I, I sort of know what feels good, like what tricks I could, like why the incentive to like backside tailside a bench, like is still there. Like I, you know, like I, I'm like this just, it makes more sense than doing it on a curb and I'm not going to ever do a backside nose blunt again. So it's got to be a backside tailside, you know, like I just, I've, I have a, a handful of tricks that were a big fucking deal to me at 16 years old when I learned them. Sure. Yeah. And, and continue to be a big deal to me. Um, and I, you know, they're not getting any better, but I, I'm happy to do them. I'm delighted when they, when they happen these days. Um, it's a matter of like tricking yourself too, you know, like you sort of convince yourself that you can do it and then you end up doing it. Surely. Yeah. I mean, 
all the time. Sometimes you're just like, fuck it. I might as well yeah. try this. And then it yeah. works. And then that's how you learn. Are yeah. you, you're regular stanced, right? Yeah. 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 It's interesting that like, I feel like sometimes you look more comfortable, um, like switch backside than regular backside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I think partly that's because, okay. So I started skating in 1987. I pushed with my front foot up until 92. Uh, granted I took a year break, but like you push. Okay. I got you. Yeah. And, yeah. um, so <clears throat> I had a lot of bad habits that were pretty rooted in 80s skateboarding, like up until 1992 that it was were very hard to break so like my kickflips to this day are like insane they're like when lance mountain tries a kickflip actually his kickflips are probably better than mine your kickflips look like my kickflips. (laughs) no i don't know about that like but but what i'm saying is like in but by 1992 and 93 when i started skating switch like skateboarding there was no need to learn all these like stupid like 80s tricks switch. So I like mm. my switch more closely emulated the type of skating that I was seeing on videos. And like I was oh, okay. using muscles that had developed in a very different way because uh, I'd already like gone through puberty and I'd been sort of athletic on my little normie break. And, and so like, yeah, like I probably at one point had like better higher switch pop than i had regular pop you know way too yeah right like it's just like a different it's muscle we, it's like, weird the trajectory of your like feet it's like yeah. natural for me to yeah and i i can like and and also just you know i've i haven't sprained my right foot or my right ankle but i've sprained my left ankle like probably 25 times in the last so the like flick. Is in just better. as many years yeah so like yeah my my right foot flicks in it and like my my left foot is somehow like there's more muscle there from probably pushing with my front foot for the, mm-hmm. at the beginning and so it's just like a, a very different thing but also also just you know for my generation i hate to keep saying that but like switch was a big deal like i talk to people now like really good skateboarders who are in their early 20s and they're like i'll be like wait do you do you actually skate switch? And they're like, nah, uh, I'm not really into that. And I was like, wait, that was like really? the most revolutionary thing in the world. Switch like so when fun. I was growing up. Yeah, it's fun. And it's like, it just, but like, there's a, there is a sort of, I think it's a generational thing almost like not everyone skates switch. Not everyone sees any needs to skate switch. Um, but for me, like, I was just like, this just opens up a whole other world of skateboarding. That's for, and, for me. You know, it allowed obstacles. me to be better. Cause I, yeah, I can do things switch that I can't do regular stance. Yeah. Like if I could only do like backside tail sides and backside Smith's regular, like, it, you know, <clears throat> like that would be whatever, but like being able to do it switch, like at least people will be like, well, shit, that was switch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but you know what I'm saying? Like, of course, of uh, course it does. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's for, for me and for like, the imagined audience, like I think, you know, switch state, switch, switch stating. Oh my God. Switch skating is uh, relevant. I've always appreciated skaters. Um, it, it, it changes with time, but I like when I can't tell someone's stance. Um, yeah. Like, uh, I don't know, I guess Jerry Sue or something, but I, I like, I just like the idea of, um, 
you never was that switch was that regular because they're constantly doing um all the above i i i've liked that for a long time yeah i think i think that matter i mean i do think it kind of like i i do skate like i i have a different style and way of approaching tricks switch and regular and so like i i i think it's for me it's important like that the switch tricks happen very differently than the regular tricks like Mm -hmm. you know like i wouldn't be able to like make a a fakie flip look like my nollie flip you know Mm -hmm. um but uh but yeah it's it's cool when that happens although i think people sort of like overdo it like what's that one guy like scapegoat like where it's like he always does gets everything like he makes every, all his tricks look the same and i'm like i that seems kind of like venice park showy but um yeah it's cool it, i mean like if it's robotic i i i don't think it's like tasteful then because i guess then it doesn't matter if it's switch yeah 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 i i taste is a. Uh, <laughs> you know, has a lot to do with it, but it's hard to sort of define the parameters of, of good and bad taste as we well know. Yeah. You can't, you can't really, no, no. One group will tell you you're an idiot. So it, yeah, uh, it's fun. To, it's fun to debate. It's a, it's a great, you know, you one, when you start talking about good and bad taste in skateboarding, you actually start to tease out some of the more interesting things about skateboarding. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's like certain ones where like you, you can't debate it because there's such a following behind it. Like if someone said like uh, a Gino's push or whatever. Sure. That's yeah. right. So what a great example. Or like uh, someone saying like Max Palmer sucks. There's so many people that are like that dude is fucking incredible and you can't argue his bag of tricks. So yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. too difficult to. Right. Have, but like, then like sort of understanding like exactly like so <laughs> if, if like a kid who just started skating might look at Max Palmer and think like, you know, he's sketchy. He's like, like, like he falls off his board. Yeah, like, like I don't why? understand what why these, do these tricks like don't, this? his tricks don't lock in like whatever, like his 360 flips, like, like tumble off the ground. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like I'm just like flaming Max Palmer, but like, but then someone's like, if someone explains like, no, he's like, you know, he's skating so fast he's skating things that no he's skating in a way that no one else could do it like it takes some sophistication and some kind of like uh refinement of taste to to understand max palmer it's kind of and i sort of love that thing about skateboarding it's like it's so closely tied to the way that we discover music and experience music where you know, like if you if you grow up listening to the Beatles, it's going to take you a little while to get into the Rolling Stones. And then you have to sort of like go back into like the blues influences and like early rock and roll influences of both. And then that takes you down to like so, sort of like the Mississippi Delta and then up to like, you know, like you start little by little. It's like different musicians and different genres and different songs can be sort of gateway drugs into like... Mm-hmm darker murkier things and next before you know it if you sort of trust each step you end up with some very particular and, and rather sophisticated te- uh, taste that really began with bubblegum began with pop you know yeah. and i think skateboarding's that way too it's like you know if you if your your criteria for skateboarding is like a, a well-caught boned out kickflip and someone's like yeah but look at Cyrus's fucking kickflip over this bump to bar. And then, sure. you're, then you're watching a, a limousine video or something or a 917 video. And then you're, you're, you're discovering the joys of Aaron Lorith all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. You know? 
Yeah, and it doesn't mean that expanding doesn't mean you can appreciate like an old song, like a Beatles yeah. song. Like I can, I can still like watch a Tory Pudwell like Big Bang part. Yeah, yeah. Like there's some incredible, sh- like that's incredible. Certain tricks, like, yeah. I don't need to like certain skaters. I feel like especially people in my generation are like fuck all of these things if they're not this right. thing. But it's like that's yeah. stupid. Like you can. I mean, I, I can, yeah. There, there's. I like kind of like that too. I, I, I don't think like that anymore. But like, yeah, I, I like that when people are saying fuck those things, fuck all those things. It's all only about this. Like, that's good. That's a that's a very like refined, pared down, uh, a- attitude towards like aesthetics. You know, mm-hmm. and and totally, it's totally okay. But yeah, I'm not that way either. Like, I, I think. I'm, I try to be as eclectic about those things as I can yeah. within my own, like what I'm capable of like appreciating. Cause there's, yeah. there, there are limits, you know? Cause being, being objective, I think is beneficial. Like we are obviously very subjective as like skateboarders, but like, I don't know. I feel like when I go to a spot, like if I go to a spot in New York, I'm like, holy fuck, that person did that here. There's no way I'm doing this here. Yeah, And yeah, then yeah, yeah. you appreciate it regardless of who the skater is or what they're wearing. Totally, so, totally. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and so that's also has to do with just seeing the thing and like, you know, experiencing something of that space, which is again, what I'm sort of getting at or what I was talking about earlier about like how social media kind of deprives us of that experience, you know, mm-hmm. because like you're not- Instantaneous seeing, too. Yeah, yeah. So you're um, like, you forget about things, but I don't know when yeah. you go to spots, you're like, fucking hell. Like, <laughs> oh, dude, like they backtailed this. Like, I'm not getting up there or something. Yeah, San Francisco is, I mean, that's so much of what I'm, I do is like walk around and I was like, I cannot believe anyone fucking skates here. It's total chaos. It's so dangerous. It's so gnarly. Mm-hmm. And like, like just the things that people have done here is insane. Yeah, like those GX videos, right? Yeah, that shit. Like, that's that's totally psycho. I mean, I have my own sort of opinions about that, and like, they're pretty dark. But like, oh, I mean, uh, yeah, I could see I'm, people have lost their lives. I mean, it's sort yeah. There's just like, there's some sort of death drive that's Mm-hmm. compelling these dudes to do this you know and they're they're all like the sweetest like most genuine pure skateboarders but it's like the sort of, they've sort of got themselves into this like niche where it's like do or die and often die now and that's crazy it's like some dystopian late capitalist shit yeah it's like odd martyrdom or something. yeah i mean if this were you know 80 years before these would be the guys on the front line um in the trenches like going off to war you know, mm-hmm. like, and now they're just like, they're sort of expendable in this other way to express like how gnarly skateboarding can be. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those are impressive though, where it's like intangible for someone like me where I'm like, yeah, I mean, I praise cause that's insanity. Yeah. And it, and it shows this pure spirit of skateboarding, which yes. I think is like, yes. like, so I you, I don't know if it can get any gnarlier like uh, er, skating in a city the type of type of urban skateboarding that's only possible in San Francisco I I can't I think we're like watching it 
sort of like hit its limits. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but um, it, that's what the thrill of those GX videos is for me is like, you're just like, okay, like this is kind of has one foot in like the past of skate skateboarding and one foot in like the actual end of skateboarding. <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> are people going to step in <laughs> our sponsors? Yeah, are like, like, please don't do that. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, people are dying. <clears throat> um, I want to pivot, I guess. I want to speak to you. I'm, I told you when we were um, messaging earlier, how did you get yeah. into like academia? Um, Cause like almost like how we were talking earlier, skateboarding kind of like meets this front where like, I mean, I know my friends personally are like, oh, fucking college is stupid. Like, you yeah. know, like, um, but for you, like you've had a long pursuit. Um, was mm-hmm. that always the goal? Did you always know you wanted to go to college? College, uh, yeah, at a certain point, I, I, when I was around 19, I decided that college would be a good thing. Um, I didn't really have, I, I sort of ended high school thinking I was going to move out to California. And although I certainly still didn't have that plan to go pro, I was just like, well, I've been working in skate shops. I'm going to go to Santa Barbara. I'm going to move in with my friend Nelson and like probably just do whatever there. Yeah. Right. Thank fucking God. I didn't like, luckily I was like skating a garage by myself at, you know, around midnight in the summer. I had, I had this like kind of wonderful summer laid out. I, you know, just finished high school and I was like going to be working at a skate shop and blah, blah. And I shattered my ankle, spent a month and a half in, uh, after surgery in bed, like didn't see any friends, kind of explored like I got really into Bob Dylan. I mean, it's kind of typical, but like, you know, I, and then started hanging out with this like artist friend of my dad's like taking painting classes. And I realized that like up until that point, like there was this real big bias against like being deep and intellectual, like in my friend groups, although like this was the nineties and like people, you know, there was this huge coffee shop slacker culture in Austin. Um, and yeah, so I, I decided that I would apply to schools and I got accepted to a school in LA. And part of the reason I wanted to go to LA was obviously for skateboarding. But um, so college was a sort of no brainer because it was just like, get out, get the fuck out of Austin. And since you've, once again, like I sort of suffered this debilitating injury where I was just like skating at a certain peak, shatter my ankle. And I was like, I don't have anything else going for me. But like college might be a good way to figure out some other things. Yeah. And I took an art history class. I actually, before I even took the art history class, I like visiting my school occidental. I sat in on an art history class as a prospective student and my fucking mind was blown. Like I was just like, Oh my God, this is amazing. You know, from every sort of like desire that I had from like, you know, that I was in a class full of like college girls who all seemed like sophisticated, like urbane, cosmopolitan women to me, you know, here I was this like hick from Texas, uh, to the lecture being given by Eric Frank, who was the professor who had ended up becoming my advisor and it was on Italian mannerism. And I was just like, this is the weirdest, coolest, like sexiest psycho shit I've ever seen. Like this art that he's talking about, like, I want to learn more about this. Uh, 
And, and obviously there was this whole thing where I was like, this is also totally fucking useless. You know, like, sure, sure. like, yeah, yeah. like this is, this is like what I love about skateboarding is that like, it's so pointless that nobody, uh, like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to major in art history. What the fuck is that? <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I, I wasn't, I've never been a very good student. I'm sure I suffer from like ADHD and like, I, it's also just very difficult to like, when you have something as cool as skateboarding to sort of get your dick up for anything else. But like art history was, I, you know, i I did really well in my art history classes cause I really fucking thought it was interesting. It was the first time I'd always, I'd always felt bad about being a bad student in high school, but, it, but here I was like, no, I'm actually, I really care about this. I really like, I love this this is really interesting to me and I'm actually doing well in this. I, you know, I'm getting good grades. I'm like at the top of my class, like I'm, or whatever that fucking means. And when you're, when there are like three people in your art history class, but like, like this is, this is somehow like this like world that I, I feel like I, I have something to say where I feel I have something to say. And so, and luckily like LA had great galleries and museums. So like there was a, you know, like I, there's something to do in the same way that you're searching out skate spots and finding, you're like, Oh, there, there's that, there's the fucking Wilshire, whatever, you know, like I, you'd go to, you'd go to museums and you'd see these like works of art that you'd just been studying, or you see something by an artist that you would just been like learning about. And it, it connected this otherwise very disparate constellation of ideas and things that can often be very intimidating when you don't have like uh, a life raft like that. Mm-hmm. That was a very convoluted series of no, <laughs> no, no. I like, I like your, I like the train of, I like the train of thought. Did you go to school knowing you were going to be an art history major, or was yeah? Like- I, I knew, oh, okay. I knew immediately. Okay. Like within the first uh, semester, I was like, "Yep, I'm definitely like, I'm, I'm taking an art history class, and I'm majoring in this." Like after the midterm, I was like, "I'm, I'm doing this." Were you out of four year school, like from yeah, art, and then yeah, you, yeah, yeah, and then you graduated with a degree in art history from there. Yep. And I then sort of cast around and like I said, I was otherwise a very shitty student and I would spend the summers not doing internships, but like skating around Europe, mostly France. And I, yeah, yeah. Which was, which was cool. But like, I wasn't there like to look at art. I was there to just skate. (laughs) I was there to skate good ledges. And you went to the Louvre though. Yeah. Yeah. But like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I once or twice, like, not as much as I, I would now, but, um, I was truly like, I was just like, eh, no, I did all the studying during the semester. Like I'd much rather learn about Paris through its skate spots and like the people I meet. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then through a series of kind of like misfortunes and triumphs, I ended up moving to New York in 2002 because I sort of was like, all right, I might want to go to graduate school, but I also want to learn a bit more about the art world. And, that art world is kind of inaccessible in Los Angeles and I can't see it happening anywhere else. Mm. Um, and so I, I spent a few years working like at galleries for artists, for arts organizations, uh, you know, art libraries and things and just different things like for a few years where I was also doing other things like bartending or just whatever bullshit job I could find while trying to like survive in New York. But, 
always sort of art was on the t- art, some sort of art was on the table. And as I, I would always hit a wall with those jobs where I was just like, okay, the people that like are doing a thing that I want to do went to graduate school. I'm not sure if I want to go to back to graduate school. I don't even know if I can get my college transcript. Like, uh, and eventually like I just had my friend, Tom, who was, fin- who I went to Occidental with, who was going to get his master's at Yale in graphic design. Wow. He just stopped. He would come down from New Haven and we'd go to shows cause we'd studied art history together. And I'd taken him through this Gustave Courbet show and I'd read like several books about Courbet and I gave him this whole two hour long tour. And I just, that's, cause that was the shit I would do. I lived near the Met. I would do that um, whenever friends would come through. And he was just like, and I was like talking about like my plans and I was like, yeah, you know, like I had this blog and I'm blah, blah. And he's just like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like go to graduate school. This is you, people like you, when they go to graduate school, like they're following their passions. They're not, they're not, these are, you're, you're not like looking for a career. You're not, there's nothing calculated about this. This is a sincere love of yours. This right. is a sincere passion. And no matter what you do, mm-hmm. you're going to be happy. You know, and I made, put up all those arguments about, well, there's no money, blah, blah. And he's just like, it doesn't fucking matter. You're going to be one of those professors like Indiana Jones that, you know, girls <laughs> like, like, I mean, you know, he's trying to appeal to like my libidinal, libidinal instincts there. Cause I was still in my twenties or something, but like, he was like, no, like this is the writing is on the wall. You need to do this. Mm-hmm. And he was right. Um, I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I've been complaining about academia, but the truth is, is that, um, yeah, it's You're absolutely complain. I think at this point I've realized yeah, it's fine. Everyone right. I know in, in grad school or, or, or further is complaining. Um, yeah, but they're yeah. all fucking happy that they're doing it. I I don't know. I think that like skateboarding sort of taught me how to love something and and deal with all the bullshit and not you know to love something and not be the best, to love something and fail fucking constantly. Sure. To to continue to love something even when when like you had to sort of fund that passion and fuel that passion on your own like through your own ideas and through your own imagination and and in that respect, I was like well primed to deal with the hardships of graduate school because there were there were legion manifold fucking challenges. Um, but yeah, like I'm f- maybe stupidly convinced that I still really give a shit and I still love it, and so it doesn't seem like a waste of time to me. Mm-hmm. What was your uh, What was your graduate degree in? Um, I, so on the way to a PhD, you get a, you know, a, a master's and mm-hmm. I, I focus on like late 19th century, early 20th century art. Um, I guess I'm an Americanist, even though most of my stuff, like I'm, I happen to, you know, know a lot about like the French 19th century and sort of that sort of thing. But like my, so I, my master's thesis was about this American muralist named Jules Guerin who like he worked for like architectural delineators like, or he worked as an architectural delineator for like different architects around the country. He worked on world's fairs. He did murals all around the country, many of which are gone. Uh, there were huge ones of his in Penn station, uh, which was of course destroyed. And I was sort of interested in the way in which like 
popular art and illustration and even the comic strip sort of played into how murals, which of course sort of have almost an ancient history, were being thought about in the United States right before cinema. So it came into like urban design. It came into sort of like, uh, like just the way in which like big works of art were, were like encountered by the public in department stores and banks and federal buildings and things and train stations and how somehow like maybe something shifted with, with cinema, with the motion picture where you have murals sized moving images all of a sudden in these sort of Baroque palaces. Hmm. Um, and although that was like a kind of interesting topic and I would love to like return to it, I think I found different ways to explore it. And I ran into a lot of dead ends with that particular artist. Cause there, there wasn't a huge paper trailer archive around that person. So it made it hard to do like a PhD, like a dissertation about that person. So instead I shifted to two of the most well-documented and written about artists in American art, John Singer Sargent and Winslow Homer. And I'm writing about the one thing that people don't really have not really written about with their, with respect to their work, which is their, their time in Florida. (laughs) So I write about Florida in the 19th century. Hmm. And is that because for dissertation, the specificity has to be something never written about? Yeah. 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 You don't want to do, you don't want to like step on anyone's toes. You want to offer a new perspective and you want to like offer a study. I mean, yeah, you just got to think like strategically, like what will be my area of specialty and what can I sort of like, in my case, a lot of what I'm doing is uh, culling other research and sort of trying to put it into like this new like package of like, here's how we should think about like the tropics and here's how we should think about these two artists and like, what can we learn from like the way in which they represented like tropical imagery mm-hmm. and how is this still relevant today? And I, and I, into my mind, it, it is in many ways. Like uh, when you think about the tropics, you're thinking about race, you're thinking about the environment, you're thinking about certain Euro American fantasies about both of those things. Um, you know, palm trees and like, like, I don't know, like, and you're also thinking about disease. You're thinking about degeneration. You're thinking about fucking Island boys, you know, like, like the, the same, the same things that we think about Florida today, were sort of being introduced and explored at the time that I'm working on these, on these artists. How long uh, have you been writing these your dissertation? Oi. Um, and also my uh, topic, what's what's missing, um, for you to submit, uh, the approval of my readers at this point, I, I, the, the document is done, you know, I'm I'm revising it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. But like, you know, I, I, I'm probably looking at another three months of like revisions and absolutely like, yeah. Uh, I, I think the topic, my topic got approved in 20, 15. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I began writing on it and working on it like around that time. And I'd already had an idea of what I wanted to say. And so I spent a few years like researching the main, the biggest, the hardest chapter was, was my Winslow Homer chapter. Cause that's, he's had the most written about him. So I had to kind of like mm-hmm. master that literature. Yeah. Yeah. To like definitely yeah. wean out what to 
Yeah. And there were, there were a couple of exhibitions that like kind of came out that brought like had symposia that I like wanted to see. So sort of see what the, the landscape there was and really, but truthfully, like, dude, I been working full time and teaching and doing all that from, from like about 2015 to 2019. And so I only had time like in little spurts to like work on my dissertation. I never had like a week in a cabin where all I could do was write, you know, in four and a half fucking years. And so most of my dissertation got written, uh, (laughs) no surprise. And during the pandemic, you know, only when I, when I like moved out to California and had a little shed in my mom's backyard in Berkeley and didn't have a, you know, like a regular full-time job, was I able to kind of sit down and pull together those notes and like put them into something coherent. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, fucking I, crazy. I mean, I, I do, it, it is crazy. I have it friends that, yeah, I have friends that like took writing fellowships and like did all that sort of thing. Okay. And I was like, I sort of wish I'd done that uh, just to get it done sooner. But on the other hand, it's like, I'm not in a fucking hurry to have this PhD because like having a PhD does not guarantee me any kind of career in this field. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I, I, personal merit. It, I mean, obviously it, it can definitely grant you, um, it has a level of prestige that I think will help, but yeah, but I'm not sure that I want a job and, and, any field where uh, a PhD would like, I would like that option and I, and I definitely want to just see this thing through. But um, like, for example, my dissertation now is much more about racism and racialization and sort of like, like how could I write a, a dissertation about the tropics and not talk about the fucking black Bahamian or Western Caribbean or excuse me, West Indian uh, models that these white male artists are are painting and 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 painting in a certain way. Like, it's shameful to say that like my research wasn't about that up until the last couple of years, mm-hmm. you know. And it sort of took like the George the the BLM movement and the sort of like growing awareness of like the many blanks like blind spots in in the field of art history mm-hmm. and and attempt to sort of redress those in my own work in my own thinking um like if i had finished my dissertation in in 2018 and it hadn't and it hadn't been about that yet it had been about the tropics in florida like that would be a shitty dissertation that would be a shitty topic i and i'd be stuck to that fucking thing you know Right. If I if I had written about the tropics and not written about the environment, <laughs> you know, like what the fuck would that dissertation be about? And originally it was about like sort of tourism and irony, and now it's become much richer. So I I look at I sort of think about the work that I've been doing and I'm really grateful because I'm just like where else would I have had there's something about doing academic work where you're so open to you're looking at the world through this lens, this radiant lens of like, this is really significant. This can be used. This kind of enhances my thinking and I need to sort of dig deeper into this. And I feel so grateful that I've been able to, my dissertation has kind of gone alongside all of these things that I like care about 
that are happening in the contemporary, like you're happening right now, and that I can sort of incorporate some of that thinking and some of those conflicts and some of those problematics into my my writing on on this thing that's you know rough 120 years old. <laughs> yeah, I think so. it I think it could be possibly interesting for you um, just as a writer personally to like you know keep jobs and things that you have interest in outside of academia, but then be able to maybe have a stature to self-publish under yeah. this PhD title or, you know, yeah, I, that's, thank you for that. That's good. That's really good advice. Um, yeah, it's possible. I mean, I, I, again, like <clears throat> skateboarding kind of teaches you, like you're going to do it either way. And I, and oh, I yeah, do, yeah. I do have, I am lucky that one of the good things that like feedback kind of ended, but I did have like a, What's that? What's that term? It's like, is it Dunbar's number? Do you Not know that? Sure. Um, it's it's the sort of average amount of people. I'm gonna just look that up real quick. Yeah, yeah, sure. look it up. Oh yeah, yeah, it's Dunbar's number. So it's it's basically 150 people, and it's the it's the suggested suggested cognitive limit to the number of people who one can maintain stable social relationships with. It's so it's 150? like Yeah, only 150. Damn. So like only 150 people really get it. So like, just think like, you know, if 45,000 people, which was my, the end of, that was the, how many people followed feedback before it disappeared. 45,000 people followed that account. Maybe 150 people got it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so like, if, but like, if you're lecturing to a class of 150 people, that's fucking huge. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. uh, and so I sort of think, I do luckily have like through my Patreon, a platform of like about 150 people, maybe 200 that like are interested in like the content I'm putting out and compensate me for that. Mm -hmm. And that in many ways sustains me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, it's cool. It'll be great to have a P that PhD done. I'd love to see my project turn into something because I think it would make a good show or book, but um mm -hmm. It's like, it's sort of like the hard work you do to get there is what matters. It's not the sort of end result. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel, I, I mean, like, obviously it's on a very small scale in comparison to you, but I, these were the most intensive finals I've ever had to accomplish. And like, after yeah. I finished one of the papers, I did outstanding on it and I felt no relief. And it was more so actually just like because I think the working process was like so much more like cathartic than actually like finishing and getting the yeah. grade or like the finished product. No, it's it's anticlimactic. I mean, exactly. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I would I would find that with like conference when I used to give conference paper papers and stuff. Like, you know, you're doing all this work. Uh, you you get up and you give the paper. It's like you've spent months in preparation for this and the thing's over in 20 minutes <laughs> and the, and the crowd that like ask you questions that only pertain to their research and they weren't even listening. And th th that's totally fine. Cause like we're all in the same position, but it's just like, there's, there's no, like you don't get to fucking Eric Ellington, like freak dance, like, at the bottom of Carlsbad saying, we're getting fucked up tonight. Like, like there's, there's nothing like you, and it ends up being like the work that you did to get there is like the, the only thing that really matters. It's not the end result. It's like, yeah. it's like food, 
You know, you, you prepare the meal, you cook it, you, you lay it out on your plate, you eat it, you chew on it, you experience the flavors. The whole point is not the fucking shit you're going to take afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything exactly. leading up to that. Or seeing the clean plate. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like staring at the fucking pile of shit in your toilet is like rereading my dissertation or, or like <laughs> going through is, is the pr- presentation, you know, is the, is the grade you got on the final. Um, the point is the, the digestion or whatever is the nutrition you got from it. The nutrition yeah. comes from the, from, from the chewing, not the, not not the pooing. <laughs> Can I ask you a little bit about um, your experience as a professor? It's something that like personally interests me because I think oh, I'd yeah. love to be an adjunct professor at some point. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, you actually, you taught at schools that um, I almost went to, like Baruch. Yeah. Um, yeah. How was how was that? Like actually preparing lectures for students and it seems terrifying. Yeah, it was really great. Um, I, I, there were things that I really loved about teaching. Um, for one, a, I, you know, like there's something that happens when you're lecturing something that you know about or that you've gone over and that like you can't prepare for, which is like insights happen at the podium and that like all of a sudden, like, like your your as your brain is firing as, off synapses, you come to a new understanding about the material that you're lecturing about, and you if if it's done well, you can see that flicker of recognition with your students, mm-hmm. and that's incredible. There's there's nothing like that, and it's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, there is also in a more self serving way, there is something really enjoyable about the performance of mastery. I hate to say it, but like, like, you know, when you, when you finally get so much of graduate school is like, you're just unsure of what you're doing or, or if it's, if it's right. And like, if people Mm -hmm. are getting it and like, if you're doing the right thing and teaching offers the opportunity to sort of demonstrate that you actually have done the hard work and you do know what you're talking about. Right. And, and that's good. But there's also, you know, there's also that can be malignant is that sort of like, I'm the professor and you're the student. Yeah. Um, the, and, and I've been lucky enough to have had some really great students and had some really good exchanges with my students and like some friendships have developed, um, not super close friendships, but like, you know, I, I check in, I've had some really cool fucking students and I'm like, I love that. Like I can sort of check in on them from time to time and just sort of see how they're doing and, and that's, that's wonderful too, you know, because I, I credit so much like the professors I had in undergrad, especially that um, sort of inspired me to kind of live this life that I'm living. So all of that's great. They don't pay you like adjunct. I would say like, dude, don't adjunct more than like three semesters. Okay. Like the, and when you get into the, like the sort of, there were certain things that after a while I was like, okay, of course you like over prepare for the first few like classes you, you teach and like you have all this like great material and, and like the lectures are a fun performance of all that hard work and that's great. And, and your students can really pick up on that. Um, but after a while you sort of realize like, 
I was a bartender up until I started teaching and I decided to stop bartending because I wanted to devote more time to my, the classes I was teaching. Mm-hmm. And I ended up making working twice as hard and making a third of what I made as a bartender. And I could do that for like two semesters and then I was fucking broke. And what they don't tell you is like when they tell you what they're going to pay you like per hour, you're like, oh, that's pretty sick. But that's classroom hours. They don't tell you that like you're going to spend about time. 25 to 35 hours in preparation. Grading. Uh, yeah. And grading in meetings, corresponding with your students, all that sort of shit. Like, right. Just email. Oh my God. Yeah. There's so much. Yeah. And then there's this thing where, uh, I realized that I had it so much easier than, than these students, like my Baruch students, my Brooklyn college students, like these were people that were like going into debt. They were, they were working three jobs. They were supporting families. They were, and, and I'm sitting here trying to like convince these people that they, they, they need to like, you know, read about fucking Giotto or something, (laughs) you know, like, uh, so I realized on the one hand that like in the 20 years since I'd been in their seat, there had been massive, the system had kind of failed a lot of these students. Like I'm, I'm trying to teach them to write about art in a critical way and they don't even know how to write a a full sentence. And so And I don't, I'm not at all blaming the students. You know, this isn't about them being lazy or, you know, unprepared or unmotivated. It's, it's that they were coming out of these, these backgrounds in which many of them were coming out of backgrounds in which like education was only useful if it was going to help you get a job. And it was, it became very, very like a, a well-paying job, you know? like an engineer or some sort of like medical professional or something like that. Baruch was a business school. So a lot of my students were like in finance and real estate. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so at a certain point by around 20 for 2015, I was like, I'm just going to shift my classes to like, I'm just going to take these kids to the Met every fucking weekend. You know, if they want I go to a museum. I want, I, I, I'm going to like have them like sit here and do like, a, you know, I was listening to uh, another art historian on a podcast this morning and she's like, you know, you can't teach critical theory or you can't teach people to th- think critically with a multiple test choice. You know, you're not going to be like realism is an invented hegemon- hegemonic category from Western art history. Yes or no. Like, you know, like you, you don't, you can't do that. So I was like, I'd much rather focus on like encounters with works, bring them in, let them know that this, even though it's a sort of can be an intimidating experience, it's not supposed to be and fuck anyone that's trying to make you intimidated in this space. Yeah. And, and also like, there is something to be learned from direct encounters with works of art, you know? Mm-hmm. There's probably a huge population of people that don't even go to the museums too. They might be too expensive. Oh. Like they don't. Yeah. Walk you know kids that kids that um wait hold on a second i'm so sorry i i gotta buzz the door because i think laura's coming one second sorry kids that have grown up in new york and have never been to the metropolitan museum of art because they didn't know they could go you know or it's intimidating 
yeah. and it should and it and like so part of it like i i shifted the whole focus to like just like why is the museum intimidating is it the three fucking flights of stairs that you have to climb to get there is it the imposing neoclassical facade and or Maybe. like whatever like is it all the series of like how in like guards you have to pass and boundaries the maze like setting the little information that is like presented on the on the wall text like um so <laughs> i ended up one like every fucking semester i had to borrow money over winter to live you know i ended up being broke the other thing i'll tell you is like they're gonna pay you for for like on december 20th and then if you get another job you don't get paid until like february 1st damn there's like like a month and a half of of winter break where you're catching up on all your shit and trying to have like a vacation whatever that means where like you're dead broke you know do they um, give you insurance by the way did you get insurance yeah yeah you can get insurance through like you know one of one of those schools like i was my program is through a city university in New York. Like I go to yep. the graduate center. Um, and so like I was getting, yeah, you can get medical insurance through like one of those through your program. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're teaching, yeah, that's mm -hmm. fine. That's and that it's decent medical insurance, but mm -hmm. the day to day was like, dude, I'm so broke and I'm, I'm living check to check and I'm scraping by. And that means that I don't have the time or the resources myself to really, sit down for an extra 20 hours a week and go through with a fine comb these students writing and like teach like help them in the way that my professors helped me mm -hmm. um the schools that they went to didn't have the resources like they didn't have like a slide library where you could just hang out and like go through all the images and like study as long as you wanted like mm -hmm. and these people have like other lives that are of critical importance that they have to attend to outside of my classroom. So I couldn't, it would be delusional for me to expect them to approach it with the same intensity that I was, I had the luxury of approaching my studies with. Um, and I felt really towards the end of it, I, I, as much as I love teaching and as, as an impassioned a teacher, a professor as I was, and I think as much of an impact as I had on the few students, um, I was, I just was like, it's burning me out and and these poor students you know like so i i i sort of changed my pedagogy from like hey let's let's like let's dig deep into like the sort of canonical text and work of art and deconstruct them and blah blah to like let's just go to the museum and talk about your experience yeah yeah <laughs> like uh <clears throat> and i think there's something important there but i but i really towards the end of it i i got yeah, I was, I was burnt and I was fucking broke. Yeah. You know, and so I, I was that I'm sitting, really the reason why you stopped. Like, yeah. Like in my early forties, like, like having to borrow money from friends. So I don't break down on the side yeah. of the road on a road trip. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, that was shameful. You know, um, the other, another reason why I stopped was that I, I was offered a job at, as a, as an assistant curator at a museum and I, you know, that was a steady salary and a sort of set hours, nine to five. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always loved, you know, I realized that I was like, I'd been moving more towards museums anyway and thinking about curation and how the rooms are set up and how we think about these spaces. And I'd always, I'd done some curating and I, 
you know, like I think much of my, my philosophy towards like art is, is publicly oriented that it should be present. It should be presented as accessible and it should be made accessible through the sort of engaging stories that you can tell around these works of art. And I, and I wanted to explore that at a museum. So I, I did that for, from 2017 to 2019 for a couple of years. And that was in New York. Yeah, that was, uh, in Yonkers, uh, at the Hudson river museum. Cool. And in art curation, are you just like, is it more like aesthetic? Like, like let's try to make this like ergonomically the best way for like someone to get through and see Uh, things. That plays a part in it, but no, it's really about like telling a story around the objects and like then sort of what like curators basically pick the shows they they pick the objects in the shows they come up with the ideas for the shows oh that's cool that's awesome they they like tell the story in the gallery you know so in other words like when you walk into a museum a museum isn't like the metropolitan museum of art for example like there are two million objects that you're not seeing on any day like they're not just putting out everything that they have they're putting out things that tell a story the story that they want to tell you and those stories are by and large uh written by curators or presented by curators. So yeah, you obviously think about like where things go in space and how uh, the audience, the visitors might encounter them and what they might think of. And then you sort of try to anticipate and tease out like this is okay. Like you tell a story about, you know, you write the little wall text, the little blurb next to the painting. Oh, you do that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically, Mm -hmm. I mean, curators are really responsible for that sort of thing. Okay. Um, that's cool. That's a great job. It was, it was great. I mean, I, I loved working with objects and I loved, um, trying to find ways to tell different stories in the, in those spaces. And it's, yeah, it's part interior decoration and part, um, blogging and part, and part writing a paper, you know, it's, it's building an argument, but in a gentle way, in a way in which like hope when done well, um, someone, the, a lay visitor can walk into a museum learn something and like have that work of art and that experience kind of mean something new to them when they mm-hmm. leave, you know, which is yeah. like, I, that's how I, you know, like half of my art historical education just comes from reading the labels and looking very closely at a work of art, you know, yeah. seems like it's a fusion of um, a lot of things that you might have an interest in all in one field. So that's, yeah. 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 Did you live alone? Like at, like at those like latter years in New York, like where you yeah, lived? Yeah, I pretty much lived in the same apartment from 20, 2007 to when I moved in 2020. Where in New York did you live? Upper West, 85th between West oh, and Riverside. Okay, so that's why you were connected with Greg. You live like right <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how we met. But we met very late in the game. Like I, I met him just the last year, really. Yeah, because you had been in New York for a long time because you did grad work here and all the teaching for all the yeah yeah i'd been i lived in new i when i first moved to new york i fucking like every dickhead like lived in williamsburg for a little while and then i moved to borham hill with a couple i had Mm -hmm. this like the best apartment i ever had like top floor almost like a loft on atlantic avenue yeah really nice and rent was cheap and then i moved moved to manhattan in 2006 lived with a girlfriend on spring street and then moved up to the upper west side in 2007 and stayed there ever since 
Yeah, it was cool. Residential life. It, you know, like I, oh, I, yes. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's a lot of families, a lot of apartment buildings. Compared to Spring Street or something. Yeah. 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 Well, what was funny is that like my, my girlfriend at the time had actually grown up around the corner. Like we lived on Renwick and Spring, like far West and her parents lived in this little cottage, like on Greenwich Street. And like, so like my experience of, of downtown New York was like, almost like you're living in this tiny little village that was super residential. And, um, and then, so moving up up to the Upper West Side, I was kind of like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to live in like hipster fucking Brooklyn or whatever. Like, I didn't want to like, and I was already working in Chinatown, like at bars. So I was just like, I don't want that thing. I want something else. I want like something that's not cool. I want something dorky and you know, kind of Seinfeldy or like Woody Allen, like just Very uptown, true. you know, yeah. Royal Tenenbaums. Like I, I want that shit and I got it, <laughs> you know, but what I found out is that like the Upper West Side could be just as radical and just as transgressive and just as like uh, dark and, and haunted as anywhere else. Like, you know, like it's a, a very li- rich layered complex place and block like block by block, you know, like there's just, just layers of history and layers of, of stories and, and people's experiences building by building that could like, you know, you, as, as I, it's weird. Like my scope of New York sort of like narrowed the last year where I was really like rooted to the Upper West Side. And only then was I really, after 12 years of living there, was I only starting to like understand it, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think New York's kind of amazing like that uh, in the way in which like it's a secret city, but it's a secret city who's the, like offers itself to be discovered in a weird way. Like it presents itself. I've, I've I've spoken with my girlfriend about it when we she's lived there off and on for like four years or something like that. But uh, like being so curious about tourism in New York, like why people come to New York, because like as someone that has lived in the state my whole life, like close to New York and gone there my whole life, you're like, there's nothing to fucking do here. Like, why do people travel from Russia to come here? It's like just a shop or something like that. It's like a very peculiar thing. Yeah, but it's like, like you're, New York is like very cutty in this way where it's like if you're really there, you like know what to do. But otherwise, it seems like a city that like there's nothing to do. It's very small. Well, I think like yes and no. I mean, I, I uh, people go because they, it's iconic. Like it's like yeah, yeah. because you've grown up no matter where you're from, you, mm-hmm. you have an idea about New York. And when you get there, you see that idea. And if you look further, you can le- learn more and have a more profound appreciation and understanding or hatred for New York. But um, that skyline and that feeling and that energy, and I know it's so vague and opaque to talk about what the energy of New York is, but it's actually palpable. It's there. It That's is. what people go for. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you, you really can't get any you're not going to find anything in New York that you couldn't get somewhere else, but like getting it in New York is the cool thing. You know, I'd much rather have a fucking Hanes t-shirt, blank Hanes t-shirt that I got in like, (laughs) you know, Pershing or whatever, fucking Herald square. than like, then I got in Madison, Wisconsin, you know, like I, Mm -hmm. a long time ago, I wrote this article about Tompkins square 
Uh, and I was just like, yeah, like it's just a slab of, of asphalt and some flat bars, but it's like, what makes it cool is that it's in the middle of this amazing city. Surely. Like, you know, like you can keep your fucking slab of asphalt near flat bars in Wisconsin. Like no one's going to come and visit, but everyone's going to come through here. And that's what it makes it amazing. Surely, yeah. um, and there's just something, whether it's cliched, played out, like whatever, the fact that it matters to everyone makes it significant. That's a good and point. I don't, th- I don't think that yeah. that's bullshit. You know, like mm. I grew up, I kind of, I wasn't, I was sort of indifferent to New York growing up. It wasn't like a goal of mine to live there until I got there. And then I was like, oh shit, everything that I actually think is fucking cool was shaped by this place. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm now understanding like what the fuck they're talking about in a, in, on Enter the 36 Chambers because like <laughs> I'm hearing people speak with that accent and use that slang here. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that, like, I didn't realize that people actually talk like that <laughs> until yeah. I came here, you know, it unlocked art, it unlocked culture, it unlocked some of those sort of like things that matter the most to me. Um, and, and that's just my experience. Like, I think everyone has that no matter what you're looking for, you can find it there or it's, it's expressed amazingly in New York. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, that's, I think why people come, I mean, I don't want to speak for the tourists, but like, I, for a long time, I was a walking tour guide in New York. Really? Like, yeah. After like a decade of living there, I decided I wanted to learn the official history and like, and I gave tours probably in like twenty four different neighborhoods, two dozen, like different different neighborhood, different tour, different information, different set of ideas. Hmm. And it's like people came to those tours not because like it's like they're I was telling them about someone they love. You know, when you're like. You're like, oh, I'm like, like, you know what Jimmy did the other day? Like, and you know, and they're like, oh, I fucking, I didn't know that, but I love Jimmy. Like, that's, that's like when you're talking about New York's history, you could be talking about whatever you're, you know, depending on the neighborhood you're talking about, you could be talking about like, you know, like the development of in public sort of like, like queer identity or like the, you know, you could be talking about Harlem. You could talk about the Jewish Lower East Side. You could be talking about the financial district, about revolutionary, like the American war for independence and how it, but like you're talking about it through the lens of New York. So you're talking about it through the most fascinating lens ever, you know, Mm -hmm. and people, and I could see that same thing that would happen in a lecture when you're really firing on all, on all pistons and you're killing it where like people like, they just want to hear, they want something because any information is connection to this amazing place. Yeah. Why, and, did, you, why did you leave? You seem to have such a, like a, like a passion for, for yeah. New York. Uh, yeah. That's a question I ask myself all the time. Um, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I left because quite frankly, I was completely burned out. Like I, I, yeah, it's exa- It's an exhausting place. Yeah. And I think there does come a point I'm 45 years old and I realized that in the last, in the previous two years, I was 43 at the time, but like, I was like, my mom has like gotten in two car accidents, broken her ankle and she's like 73, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I've lived two decades away from my, my mom and I, I don't hate my mom. I love my mom. You know, like I need, and she's in California. Most of my family's in California. And uh, 
I got to n- know myself and become an adult and the person I am through New York. But in some ways, to remain there and to remain sane, I would have to have a lot more money and a lot more or a lot more direction and purpose. Yeah. And I just found myself being like, I was just like, dude, I, you know, like I'm, I, I'm, I have, I'm half of me right now is like this fucking derelict skater sitting on a fucking bench in Riverside Park, skating a curb and arguing with like preschoolers and the elderly for my right to skate this stupid step. And the other half of me is like dangerously close to the like middle-aged guy in a dusty apartment stuffed with his like dirty crap, like near hoarder, (laughs) you know? And I, and I was just like, neither of these are like very comfortable places for me to be, you know? I mean, you know, there were, several other halves there was the half that like lived for art that could go see the best art in the world at any of new york's like hundreds of galleries or museums mm-hmm. and that part part was delighted there was the part that loved new york that saw their love manifest in every inch of the city um that was only enriched through all of the time that i'd spent there but i realized that there was that i was really really unhappy and that i was far away from people that I loved and um, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to stay in San Francisco and I don't know if like, like the circumstances of my life could change. But one of the things I learned is that like, you know, New York taught me how to be a good, like urbanite. It taught me how to be a good traveler. It taught me how to like live in other cities and it taught me how to um, sort of be around other people in a way that like growing up in Texas or my numerous trips to California or to fucking France, like didn't prepare me for. Sure. Yeah. It's sort of like you take that with you wherever you go, but I'm not, you know, I, I'm not ruling out moving back to New York. I just, I happen to leave at at a very, at a time of crisis for myself and a time where like it made a lot of sense to move to California and that decision was made in January of 2020 and I left in February of 2020 and just think about the timing on that with the pandemic and everything. And I was just like, Oh my God, like, thank God I left, you know, because everything I loved about the city from like museums, riding the subway, like the close proximity that you have with complete strangers, the intimacy that happens in that, in those spaces and the support and the kind of physical engagement all of that as well as like skateboarding outside all this sort of shit like that was not happening and it like the city broke down you know um it's it's recovered it's beautiful like i hear great stories you know and i'm i covet and i'm jealous of those stories but uh that was yeah i was i was really glad that i wasn't there when i wasn't there yeah i think that you you left at a opportune time even if that wasn't why you left and it's weird it's like yeah it's, i feel York, it's, everyone that talks about it does talk about that level of resiliency though that a person develops if you really live in new york because like you said like there's not every place in the world where you can learn to have a certain level of comfortability and understanding of so many different demographics of people but also like 
you might be broke as shit. Like at times in New York, New York is expensive. It's like, yeah. I think a study came out recently <laughs> that I read it's like six most, sixth most expensive cities in the world. Oh yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, it's like, you have to figure it out. Like there's not many places that are like that. My dumbass moves to San Francisco, which is like the most, <laughs> which is not, not <laughs> yeah. much better. No, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, it's funny because I lived in New York longer than I lived anywhere else. Like I, I, I hit the, that was the other reason I was like, damn, I just hit the 18 year mark. Like I didn't, I grew up in Texas, but I only lived there for like 17 years. Like mm-hmm. I haven't lived anywhere else as long. Um, but I also lived in this weird bubble. Like I moved right after September 11th and I left right after, right before the pandemic. Like I, it's somehow like my, my experience, even though it's the sole defining experience of my life in the sense of it, like, this is who I am now. Mm-hmm. It's like that. That's like, not, if you were there before September 11th and you kind of went through that whole thing, like I don't envy anyone, but I'm saying like, that's a very fucking different, you, yeah. you knew a different New York, you experienced it in a way that no one else could experience it in the same way that like, if you like weathered the pandemic and if you went through all that shit and dealt with that fear and that solidarity mm-hmm. and whatever people, my friends that stayed talk about, um, you also have a very different bond to the city than I'll ever have, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I mean, I think it's bullshit. Like when people are like, I was, someone was yesterday, I think they were fucking with me. They're like, whatever, dude, like you're from California. Like you, you're like not a New Yorker. And I was like, fuck you. Like I, I moved there when I was, you were three, go fuck yourself. Like tell me, yeah, sorry. I didn't have go to preschool in New York. Like I, I don't understand that experience, but right. like every choice I've made, it's, this is the place I chose to live and I fucking rolled with it for as long as I possibly could. And I might go back and also fuck you. I know more about it than you do because I, I was a tour guide. I got my license. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) You fucking fuck. (laughs) No, but, uh, but I, I also love that shit that like just pointless chauvinism, you know? Oh yeah. New Yorkers were, um, kind of known for that. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I love the, just the flag in the ground real hard. (laughs) Yeah. But there's to me, like, you know, I grew up in, in Texas. It was like, if you're broken down on the side of the road, there's a 50-50 chance the person is either going to fucking beat the shit out of you or they're going to tow your car 150 miles and, and bring you to dinner with their family. You know, Texans are like overly courteous and exceedingly hostile. And there's a classic, and as far as California goes, it's like Californians act nice, like they're like, children like little children trying to be polite but they're fucking dicks like they don't want anyone in their space and new yorkers may be brash but there is a common courtesy at least in in the city that i that um i haven't experienced anywhere else you know Mm -hmm. the sort of classic example would be like you know in in los angeles if there's like a, a elderly person driving 40 miles an hour in the, on the freeway, people are going to be honking, tailgating, flicking them off, like wishing they were dead. Uh, in New York, if an elderly person gets on the subway, almost no matter what, whoever the fuck's sitting there will get up and give them their seat. Yeah, true. You know? true. And there's, there's, there's just an accountability that where you have to, you're going to encounter 
like a hundred people on the sidewalk every day, you have to learn how to be courteous. It doesn't mean yeah. like, like, like please and thank you. It means be assertive and also sort of like accommodate other people. I feel like New Yorkers have like a mutual understanding that everyone's pissed off here. So we like <laughs> all kind of like make it work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you know? yeah. Cause like people are, uh, people definitely will be, uh, say like New Yorkers are like, like rude and stuff like that. But it's like, well, because if you're not from there, like you don't understand the grind that goes into the daily yeah. routine. So well, like also everyone just the, that's commuting through this hustle and bustle is like stressed. Yeah. And also just like the sort of get the fuck out of the way. Like, yeah, you know, yeah kind of honestly, you know? like, but not, not because like you're in my way and you're annoying, but because like, it's actually dangerous for you to be in the way right here. Yeah. You, yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Time is of the essence when you're there. Yeah. So I, I like all that shit and I don't think that's going to change, but I, you know, the video I did with, with Greg, uh, what was like a sort of tribute to what I loved about New York. And it ended up being a performance of like what I thought was really special about New York is that you could like find these little universes and create these little like worlds and wherever you were, but you were going to have to do that through negotiation with other people. You couldn't just claim it. You had to fucking finesse it. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I was delighted that that was the like that sort of ended up being the last thing that I worked on and did (laughs) in my time in New York because it was like a a fucking love letter to like a very specific place um but a a very specific place in a in a city like no other that only that could happen there right if that makes any sense yeah and you actually like you put down like real tricks for that we had to like God, it, like I went there to skate. That spot is very hard to skate. I went there with Greg. It's awful. Yeah. It's a terrible, terrible spot. I mean, I I've been skating there for I've been looking at that spot for 12 years. I'd been skating there for shit like you know, 10, but most and like it wasn't until the last uh 3 months of like filming that video where we were like Oh, you could actually like do something more than a no slide on this bench. Mm-hmm. If you fucking make it through the cracks, you can like Yeah. Like I remember the day that like Miles and I like did backside tail like regular backside tail sides on it, like it it was easy once you figured it out, but it like it was we no one had tried that before that day because <laughs> like it just didn't seem possible or like you know like it just didn't seem worthwhile. <laughs> and so like learn figuring out how to unlock that spot <clears throat> is like knowing, you know, the best place to get a fucking bacon egg and cheese and like knowing about the special sauce that the the lion chef from like Honduras can can offer you if you ask for it like at the deli in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. You know like like figuring like figuring out how to skate that spot for me. A spot that I'd been staring at for for a decade like was was like ah yes okay finally it took this fucking long to like understand this place yeah yeah Yeah. i thought that video was cool and i told greg that it was like yeah it was kind of like this i don't know like multi-purpose knife and like figuring out like kind of you said like all the different things you could do with it because then like greg was saying people skating it from like the top and like frankie spears like or someone like yeah yeah 
like what like because when i went there it's like there's actual chunks missing out of the ground like it's not something that any pro or anyone should go there and want to skate but like that was cool to have the like younger kids doing like maybe a curb trick and then like also have like this pro doing like a trick that if you went there you'd be like i'm not touching this yeah yeah i I like it because there were all these like little different kind of ecosystems there you know like Mm -hmm. there's there was, and I think they've developed in their own way since I've left too. Like there's that kid, Zach and his homies that all skate like the, the sort of scalloped curbs by the cannon. Sure. And then there's like, you know, you might want to skate the, the like long, really fucked up granite curb, the bottom step. Mm -hmm. And then people might skate the other parts of the monument. I mean, there are parts of the monument that you could skate that like we haven't skated yet, you know, because they were behind fences. Mm -hmm. But, um, and and also, yeah, that like, this is funny thing where it's, you know, when, when Greg and I, my, Miles, I knew, and like, I knew some of their friends from skating there years before, but like when Greg shows up, you know, I think he and I both were just like, who the fuck are you? Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, he's like, I grew up here and I'm like, well, I've, I never seen you and I've been skating here for like 12 years, fucker. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, and, but, but then we sort of realized that like, we just must've missed each other, <laughs> you know, like yeah. he was upstate or going to school or whatever, but like, uh, <clears throat> that he had just as much of a claim to that place. And, and, you know, we were, we'd been skating different parts of this thing and just that, that wonderful thing that happens where, where, uh, a friendship builds or develops over a, a project and you get to like understand a place much better. And that was for me, like what was so wonderful about that project. Yeah. That project was really cool. That would, that would make sense. Greg. So Greg and me went to the same school for undergrad. So that would okay. make sense. Cause he was upstate in New Paltz. Um, yeah, yeah, for yeah, like yeah. four years. So probably you were just going there and he was, yeah. yeah. I mean, I also had just long periods of not skating that spot, you know, like yeah because it's not like a spot that really like you should anyone should want to skate i think yeah it took it took some i had a an old friend this guy sloan that i'd known for a decade he and his wife moved to 79th street so all of a sudden i had like a homie that's around my age that wanted to skate the upper west side mm-hmm. and and then then we're, we would just like kind of yeah we we would skate there skate the Banshell curb at Bethesda Terrace and Central Park and like in Columbus Circle. And it, and it was, it came at a time where like, I had just gone through a breakup. I'd been, my girlfriend had been like kind of around the high line in the West twenties. And like, I wasn't trying to go there anymore, you know? So I was like hanging, spending a lot more time on the Upper West Side. And <clears throat> just like one of those things where all of a sudden, like your, your own neighborhood starts to take on a new, like valence and, and significance because you're not trying to go downtown for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, fuck, I never got to skate the museum, like the museum of natural history where it's like world-class skate plaza. Now there's videos there. Everyone's oh, skating. Is that there, where like, they're, they skate the curb. Like, um, they skate the bottom step, like a curb. Um, there's a bunch of benches and then there's a set of stairs and a handrail oh i know pedis- alexis yeah. the blown clip yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 um yeah like i dude i'd been looking at that spot i skated once or twice but I always looks, get kicked out looks cool it took the pandemic to make that a spot you know and, 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 and the, or the skate park there's a fucking skate park at 108 like <laughs> amazing like that wasn't there 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, and so again, it's one of those things where I like leave New York and I leave that neighborhood and I'm like, motherfucker. Now there's this like world-class skate plaza, like on Central Park West and this like amazing skate park that like I would kill for out here. Yeah. And like, I'm, I was sitting here skating this crummy curb with this crack on it, you know, like and arguing with the elderly every day. I feel like you would, you would love that natural history museum spot. I feel like the spot you skate in Zion SF, it's like very similar. Oh, the, uh, the one that one's in uh, Oakland. Yeah. It's, it's very similar. I mean, it's a plaza. It's, it's granite. It's got like kind of imperfect, but fun ledges. Mm -hmm. Um, It looks great, you know? And on the other hand, it's like, I wouldn't, I'm so happy that like, I just decided that like that, that that park near my house, like two and a half blocks away or whatever was going to be where I skated. And that was going to be like where I was just dug in for the last six months of my time in New York. It turned out to be that, you know, Mm -hmm. like that was the, the, all I could have asked for. Yeah. Was that like, would you say that that's like your one like real part that you've? Uh, it's the one that I had the most um, creative and sort of conceptual, whatever. There is the one where I, that were like, that went exactly the way that I wanted. I filmed a part in a, with uh, Joe Cups and Lurker Sam call, uh, for a video called Lurkers 2 in 2004 uh that was like mostly skating downtown and like yeah it was mostly just downtown spots mm-hmm. i mean i was skating tompkins every day for like the first few years but like when i would get out of tompkins i would go to skate like a few you know like i, I filmed it on youtube yeah yeah yeah. i think yeah. i've seen it yeah 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 and uh yeah that was cool that was like probably I didn't do my best skating there, but that was probably when I was like at my peak of skill level and like strength. Um, but this one was just like, can I do any of these tricks anymore? (laughs) You know, like, Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) like, uh, and can I do them here? Like, how can I find a way to do them here? Cause I love this place. I love the way that it looks. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do these tricks in two years, you know, both of them were, you know, like, most people film video parts for sponsors or whatever. And like, I didn't, I didn't have any sponsors to film a video part for. I was just like, you know, if you want me to be in this video, I'll be in the video. But like with the Greg thing, I was like, we really need to do this video. Yeah. 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 It turned, I mean, it seemed like it got a great response. It turned out really good. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. It was was a good video. I told uh, him that I, I think people like any video that's all of one spot. Yeah. There's just something nice about that. Like even when people film, like I used to love watching like Jesse Alba, like park edits. So it's mm-hmm. a park, but like if I see a bunch of different skaters, how they perceive the spot, I like that. Yeah. Oh shit. That's cool. <clears throat> yeah. That was what was really like, cause it really came out of the dynamic of, of me and miles, like who, you know, he's a kind of a quiet guy and, but uh, he skated it. He skated the spot very differently than I did. And but he like really spent a lot of time thinking about how to skate that spot. It seems, and so once we could sort of establish that maybe the video is going to be just our two parts, then we're like, okay, well, let's try to get other people and see how they skate this spot. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, it is an imperfect spot, 
um, you don't need to know that, but it, when, if people do go visit that spot, they realize it, like it, it enhances, it's the same, like what we were talking about earlier. Like you, you do appreciate a trick once you see what it's been done on. Yeah. Yeah. I've all, I, I like that. I like that moment of seeing it. I forget. I think it was the Columbus park, uh, handrail that, I don't know, Tyshawn, certain people like went straight over Ave, switch 50-50 maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, going there and I'm like, holy fuck, like the crack is like huge. You have to, the run-up is awful. You have to, like that does a lot more to you yeah. as a person. It creates this feeling of dread. Like I would never even right. pull up to this thing or something, yeah. But well, it's three just... seconds in a video. Like yeah. it's done, like... I also think that that whole thing too is really interesting. It's like the closest that skateboarders come to sort of some kind of pilgrimage religious experience where we're like spots have a certain, they're like spooky. <laughs> like when you, when you sort of see like what's been done and you imagine yourself doing it mm-hmm. or like you're rolling up to like some iconic spot, even if it's just like a regular ledge and you're just thinking of like all the stuff that's happened there. Yeah. Like, and you know, you're trying to get some in your own way or, fail miserably like it's crazy how like we don't really talk about that enough but like the kind of like the valence that these spots have mm-hmm. and why we attach that significance and that meaning that subtext or palimpsest to it you know mm-hmm. like it's like decades of yeah of tricks or or tricks will be done twice but in different ways and and yeah i don't know people hold a lot of meaning to that it, it because it means a lot. It's, it's ineffable, but it's like, it, like, it's not just any old spot. It's, it's the thing where all these other things happen. And, and by doing, it's like going, I mean, I don't want to like trivialize someone's religious experience or something, but I think people did experience that in the past through making pilgrimages to religious sites and through, Mm -hmm. through praying at certain altars. Um, And, and I think that, not that skateboarders need to talk about it in those terms. We do have our own ways of talking about it. Um, but it's a very interesting feature of, of skate, of skate spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love the, the whole like mental archive that people have. It's, it's very similar to how you were saying earlier with art history being very similar to skateboarding in that sense where like yeah. skateboarders are like historians in that way. Oh yeah. Obviously with me, I know there's certain people that nerd out on it at my age. I think it's a little bit disingenuous if someone my age is saying like, uh, Bobby Puglio, the term cans or wheelie, but like, it's, it's, it's cool. But like, we definitely all do it. Even my generation, like in, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Like we go to certain spots, we're like, yo, that trick, that spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? But what's amazing. Yeah. But, but what's amazing is that like skateboarding has this like, uh, progressive ethos and I don't mean like politically or whatever, but like, I mean, like (laughs) we understand that a, a, a spot story has to do with like the development of tricks. Like a spot only matters if more and more difficult and challenging tricks are done there. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what gives a spot life. And, and that you don't need to be, fucking 45 and looking back at a spot that people have been skating since 1992 to understand that because the the rate that skateboarding moves and progresses is so rapid that you could be 23 and looking at something that you've 
that you were, was on your radar when you were 15 and that's a mere eight years, but that's a fucking lifetime in skateboarding, mm-hmm. you know, skateboarding changed profoundly in that eight years. Mm-hmm. And, and the spot went from like accommodating nose slides to fucking kickflip backside nose blunts or whatever, you know what? I, like, what? like yeah. there's this, this for sort Instagram of like, too, not even for yeah. video. Yeah. And all those things like, like I'm not one of those people I happened just because fuck, you know, I'm an old head. Like I care more about the old shit that's been done and I, I pay more attention to that stuff. And those are the thoughts that come to my mind. But like Instagram only increases that archive and that, that sort of like information uh, that we attach to, to places and to the, to like that adds to our culture, you know? Mm-hmm. The good thing about Instagram is its visibility. The bad thing about Instagram is its ubiquitous visibility, you know, but it's like, yeah. it just means that there's more information and more significance that we attach to this if we're attentive to it. Yeah. And there's like accounts that, uh, you know, play old clips and old videos. Oh yeah. I live um, on those accounts. <laughs> which are great. Cause for someone like me, I never saw those things because I probably wouldn't know to even look them up. Um, because some of them came out before I was even born. Like I was born in 96. So yeah, if if I see things come up, I actually, you know, I prefer the way someone looks um, typically when they skated in the nineties. I I like when someone looks stiffer, I think it's more realistic. I don't know what that is, but um, Uh, yeah. So I think it's cool. Yeah. I mean the, the other thing is like the cool thing about skateboarding is that, our history is still like a lot of the key players in the, our history are still alive. You can still encounter them, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, yeah, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and so right. it's like, like, it seems like yeah, but it, yeah. so it sort of seems like, uh, like there's so much going on right now that it's impossible to sort of understand like how, how trilogy, for example, which came out the year you were born, like how that fits into, um, an earlier development of skateboarding, like and what came after that, but it's actually pretty easy. You can go on YouTube and fucking watch every world industries video up, up to like Rodney versus day one three or whatever, you know, like, and, and sort of understand like where a trilogy, where 1996, where that style comes from, how it developed, mm-hmm. you can, you know, and in the same way that like, I don't know. I mean, I, I love that. Like one of the things I noticed when I was doing feedback was that like, kids sort of now pick and choose all these different styles, like all the whole, you know, like they can kind of mix these things that wouldn't be mixed. Like I was appalled. Like I was, I listened to the Cooper Winterson like thing that you did like, and, and I was like, you know, and he's like, I don't doubt the authenticity of what he's saying about him and Ben, Ben, like Cato getting into like fucking blink 182 and like all these deep cuts. And like, and to my mind, I'm like, dude, those weren't deep cuts. Those are like the fucking big bands on like the warp tour and that you would find on Tony Hawk's pro skater. Like that's not like some like digging in the crate shit, but like my, my whole ethos is coming out of this like dusty record collector, fucking hipster 90s shit. That's like probably, you know, music was accessible in ways to like 90s connoisseurs that, that like it wasn't for 70s connoisseurs, you know? So there's this, it's interesting to me the way in which, and I, so I, it doesn't mean that Cooper and Ben aren't fucking sincerely, genuinely 
cool, weird people with their own obscure taste that they have to like look really hard to cultivate. Mm-hmm. But from my perspective, because I lived through that era, like that just doesn't seem like it didn't seem that obscure underground. Not yeah, to no, I, that makes no sense. Me, that's them. like someone who loves hip hop now. Um, it might be like radical that they are like their favorite album is like to Cal and it's like, but, yeah. but some, but someone in the nineties would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like that yeah, was, that was like a mainstream, mainstream record release. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's just like, um, I don't know. I mean, I think ultimately it's like the way in which you, appro- it's not so like what you like, it's how you approach it. Like for them, it's, I think there's an aesthetic and a kind of something that's really cool that they see that someone living through it maybe didn't see. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it was very difficult in 1996. Like you, you were either hash or fresh and you know, there's very little in between, you know, you couldn't just toggle between like, Oh, I really like fucking, I really love method man. And like, I'm really into built to spill like that. That very seldom happened. You had to be like on some next level, like Mark Johnson genius brain shit to like be able to span those two, yeah, yeah. two, two poles. Um, and so in a lot of ways, those like arbitrary binaries have, have dissolved or new ones have been created, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's, I don't, I don't know. It's in, I, I suppose it's just very interesting. Those things, how, how those things like are interpreted now. And I think what's great about skateboarding is it, that history is still accessible, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think social media also creates a very weird sense of self-awareness and self-awareness becomes this very like a uh, wide-ended like spectrum of what self-awareness like is. Yeah. Um, whereas like um, rich, like uh, an example would be like rich people dressing like really bummy and like a hipster to mm-hmm. like create further separation. Um, but that's just, but like skaters, like having such an eccentric like, um, like what they're what they're wearing yeah. is this level of self awareness, but it's only through them understanding what what's cool and what's not, and taking pieces of it. But I love that. I mean, <clears throat> the cool, you know, the one of the other another amazing lens to think about skateboarding is fashion. Like so many things. Like remember skin tight fucking jeans without stretch. Like I people skated in those. School. Yeah, we all did. Like studded belts. Like oh yeah. Like, just what we deem to be like both functional and to look cool in skateboarding oscillates so insanely over the courses of, of like over the course of years, you know, like like we're, we're we're, literally. Yeah. And to, to huge to, and it's just, and it's like, I kind of love that, that these things sort of like, they aren't, they don't come from outside. Like, this is there's no there aren't any like fashion mainstream fashion companies that have any stake in being like okay skateboarders need to start dressing like this mm-hmm. like if skateboarders decide to appropriate a mainstream fra- fashion brand or like a high fashion brand into their wardrobe um that's a different story but like it it kind of mm-hmm. comes through like once you see too many kids wearing the same stupid fucking polar big boys, then you're going to start changing up your shit, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like once yeah. Dickies, like, like you, they get too played out, you see the wrong person wearing Dickies. You're like, okay, I'm not wearing Dickies anymore. Like, um, and I think that's kind of amazing. It's like this, it's, it, these things, these decisions get made 
in a weird collective way through through unexpected ways. Mm-hmm. Like they they come through like video parts and seeing people at skate parks and your homies and like the skaters you admire and <clears throat> and next thing you know we're all dressing like that for a while until we all feel ridiculous and change it up again. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I think I think it's like taking skateboarding and what it is within culture and then subsetting that within skateboarding. Like yeah. for for me it's like I won't buy or ride another FA board because of what is associated with just like riding an FA board. I started riding like hero boards and shit. I started selling all of my Supreme because of what is associated with Supreme. But it's like when I first started skating, that's all I wanted was like, so it's like interesting that when like, like you said, you're like, Oh, all these people are wearing it. Now I'm off that or. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, that also sort of enfolds skateboarding within a much bigger story of like, sort of the way that capitalism produces certain desires and like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like we can sort of say, Oh, well I'm making my own choices and I, I'm no longer like a polar big boy guy. I'm like a fucking Carhartt carpenter pants guy. I'm just going to buy those. I'm going to buy three pairs of those because skateboarding destroys all of our clothes faster than it, anyone else. True. <laughs> and so like, we're, we're like great consumers because we really care about trends. Yeah. You we'll know? ride it out as long as we can. If we, yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. But like, Right. Like, so like you, you like, you know, like sell all your Supreme stuff and get a bunch of like, did you say zero stuff? Like you're into zero now? No, I like, okay. I actually mostly, own, I only ride this like New York brand, uh, Nimbus. Um, oh, wow. They're kind of yeah. old school. Or like, yeah. Yeah. So the, the guy, Charlie, that, uh, runs Nimbus, he lives in Kerhonkson, which is like oh, 20 minutes from me. And he's like, yeah, really nice guy, but he, he hooks it up for like a bunch of people around here, sells us like cheaper boards. So I've been riding his, but there was That's a moment sick. when I was like, I want zero boards, like the zero original, like yeah, skull yeah. boards. And <laughs> so, yeah, that, and then I worked at this shop um, called Antilogy. We used to, he, he, my boss like prints all these different brands. We used to print for GX for a while before okay. uh, Thrasher and GX got in bed. Um, but basically it's long winded to say, I don't need clothes. And I think that Supreme um, became this thing that uh, was associated with nothing. Now it's just associated with um, wealth and certain algorithms on your, on your social medias or something, which is not something that I want to be wearing unless it's free. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense. I mean, I I just have the, it's just funny to sort of think like, how those like decisions are made, you know? And, yeah. Like, I don't like, know. Wh- I think I just like the skull on the zero. That's insane. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I had a zero phase like myself, you know, I was pretty hyped on it. Like when you were born and, and, <laughs> and then, and then sort of like after a while I was like, wait, I'm not this type of skater, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, neither am I. I, I fucking suck at skating. I do little, my little switch flips and I, I like skating curves or whatever, but yeah, no, I don't know. I just like, I just like the board. Yeah. Well, they also like gave Rochelle a board and that's that, that girl, like, I don't know why I'm fucking bringing this up, but she was the girl from, uh, what's it called? Skate kitchen, Betty skate kitchen oh, oh um she's like she's like pro for zero now she was one of my really? students at brooklyn college yeah what that's so yeah. cool yeah i mean what? it's dope it was, it was cool having a, a student that skated 
Yeah, that is really cool. Did did she know who you were? No. That's even no, cooler, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, at the time, like, there was no reason to know who I was. Like, I think she sort of realized that, like, we shared some friends and, like, on social media mm. and, like, it, but it's a classic thing where it's like, you know, I'm I'm giving my first lecture and I'm lo- looking through at the kind of amphitheater of students and I see like some fucking fucked up blazers and a skateboard and I'm like look up and I'm like you know see see the student I look look back down at the board and see how legitimate like the slide marks are you know and <laughs> yeah, it's and, uh, rock. yeah and, and it's like she may have been doing the same thing on some level like this is funny like thing that we do in skateboarding but um no yeah, totally. I, I mean zeros yeah I don't know it's just funny like I can't imagine like again you know like I was the dork who like tried to straddle. Like I had a zero shirt. I know I had a zero patch on a fucking menace shirt. <laughs> like my first year in LA, you like I had the skull patch. A on a fucking, yeah. Like menace tech, you like a patch on a t-shirt. Yeah. I just put it there. Cause I was like, this is funny. And like, and then I just realized what a fucking freakazoid I was like, <laughs> you know, trying to straddle these two things. Um, they were very stratified back then. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, no, I think I think now it's like um, the thing that I'm definitely into is uh, just irony, just irony with skating. Like, what do you mean? In terms yeah. of like the setup of board, the tricks. Like, there's times where I skate and I'm like, I really want to like land this trick today or something. But I don't know. I like the irony. I, so like I, like Jesse Alba shit or like Trung Nguyen or okay or like, the the the. That dude, the second one, that's the mm-hmm. one that Joe always talks about. I saw in his video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, yeah. for me, that's the level of irony where I think that it's a self-awareness where that person knows like exactly what they're doing. Like they're being so purposefully uncool, maybe that yeah. is cool. Yeah. That one's a little tough for me. For me, it's like just All right. Well, so like what I'm only what? wearing sweatpants and I'm skating curbs, but I'm young. That's like so you're okay so is that ironic like you're so you're saying the, the irony would be like like i should be doing more but i'm gonna i'm fucking being chill as fuck i think so i okay. think so or i might wear like just stuff that shouldn't work together maybe like that trung is the guy's name maybe yeah, yeah. maybe like that it's hard but i think with skating it's like when i because i go to tompkins because i have friends that go to cooper union Mm-hmm. and it's so serious that yeah. it's makes me want to be more ironic with it just to have fun i guess yeah no i'm i'm, I'm with you not, on that. not doing no complies and not caring about the tricks that i'm doing but like just trying to not be so serious about skating i, I mean the most satisfying like definition of skateboarding that i've ever kind of encountered has been like that it's just play you know yeah. like it's not it's not it's not a sport it's athletic mm-hmm. it's not art but it's aesthetic but it's play mm-hmm. and so however you want to play like you write your own rules for that type of play that you do and you can rewrite those and revise them but like yeah i i, I tend to like skateboarding that doesn't take itself so seriously you know because mm-hmm. i feel like you know irony is a way into sincerity like that's with surely surely with feedback yeah. for, like i was like okay clearly i'm fucking kidding but i'm actually dead so you're serious. Kind of being serious yeah well like like not 
like the sentiment of like the content of what I'm actually saying is not serious, but the fact that I'm spending this much time saying anything means that I'm serious, mm. you know, mm. and like skateboarding where it's like, you know, curbs are fucking stupid. Like you, you like, you know, but they're also the most important thing in the world. Like mm-hmm. that an entire set of moves and challenges and sensations and emotions can be connected to this like dumb object that separates the sidewalk from the shit on the street. So and fun. like you're, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, like a universe right there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Mind bendingly complex. And it's, and it's, it's like, Dumb as a post. Yeah, it de- it defies <laughs> physics in ways sometimes with cer- certain tricks on curbs. Yeah, I don't know. It's I love it. I love I it. Mean, as it's, someone that's struggled with, um, you know, grind tricks, the fact that I can do the tricks I can on a curb, I'm like, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm kind of hitting that point where like I really forced myself because the spot I was skating had a high ledge and I forced myself to like get up on that high ledge like the, this last year. And I'm like, I don't think I have to do that anymore. Like I, You're good. I feel like, I don't know, like what, who am I, what am I trying to prove? Um, I know. Like I just, I just want it, the yeah. kick. I want, I, I like the feeling of sliding, you know, yes. like yes. I, I, I'm never going to ollie as high as I want to. And I think it'd be po- like, I'd make myself miserable trying to. So, Mm-hmm. so now i'm just gonna get into the slide more <laughs> yeah curbs are good yeah. for that yeah man no slides on curbs are fun hell yeah uh, oh fuck man it's been like um a long time <laughs> yeah two and a half hours that's pretty chill